At Life Tree Community Church, we believe that we are the church. It's not a building, a program, or a tradition. A church is people. You and I are the church, and we have influence. We have responsibility, and we have the honor and privilege of being called God's church. Each of us is part of that church, and that includes you. I want to welcome you to Life Tree Community Church. My name is Pastor Dan, and i uh, thrilled that you are here with us today. Uh, thank you for coming on out. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. That'll be page 760, 756 in uh, this, these Bibles that are in your seats there. 756. Matthew chapter 5. 25. Sorry, 25. Um, 756. And we're going to do a new series, as I said. We don't do that often, and I think it's important because um, I want to, so I want to frame it for us a little bit before I go into the message. Um, so a couple things you need to know before we get into this. First, I have no idea what anybody in this church gives. Okay. Like, since day one, I have never seen, I, like, I have an idea of how much comes in each week. It's like some total, just for, you know, Record keeping, but I, we have a finance team. They handle it all. I know nothing. So I don't know what you give. So I'm not talking to anybody. Good? Good. Okay. Second thing, um, I'm not preaching about money because we need money. The church, God has continued your giving, as far as I know, has been completely faithful, and the church is growing, and we're good, and we've got money. So I'm not preaching about money because the board said, hey, we're kind of tight. Could you preach on money? Like, just in case, you know, you, you just never know what people are thinking. So that's not why we're preaching. The church is financially stable. We're healthy. Um, I, I shared some of the things that have happened, you know, the blessings last year. That's not why we're doing this. Um, but I believe that money is one of those things that is such a part of our lives. It's so integral to every single thing we do that we need to make sure we have a healthy perspective on it. Right? How many of you have spent money today already? <laughs> right? How many of you have actually gotten a credit card out? Okay. How many of you anticipate that before the day is over, right, you will have some sort of transaction with money? Okay. Okay. Like, it's just part of something we do every single day. Right? Money. It's just so part of our life. And how we view money is an undeniable indicator of how we view God. It really is. Um, and it's really quiet in here. And don't worry, I'm not going to yell at anybody. I'm just going to talk about it. Um, Jesus talked a lot about money. Like a lot. 16 of his 38 parables are concerned with how to handle money. That's a, that's a, that's a significant amount. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of ten verses deal with the subject of money. Okay, so one out of every ten that, that, that's in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are dealing with money. The Bible has 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. It's just talked about a lot in here because it's just such a part of our life. And it's just a thing, but it's like Facebook. It's just a thing, but it can be really nasty. Or it can be great. It just depends on our perspective on it. So I don't want to talk about money, and I want to be clear. I don't want to talk about money today so you can be blessed and have more money. I'm sorry. That's not my goal. My goal is not to preach that you can all, you know, have prosperity. Um, I want to talk about money so that you can be free from the destructive potential of money. Right? That's it. That's really what it comes down to. Money is a tool, and God can use it to accomplish lots of amazing things. 
But money is never the end goal. Right? It's a commodity. Like, I have pesos left over from our trip. Do you know how good they are right now here? Nothing. You know why? Because it's just, it's not the money that's actually worth anything. It's just the system in which you live that money is worthwhile. Right? So down there, I had dollars on me. You know how good that was? Nobody's taking dollars. Okay? I had to go to the, you know, the exchange and, okay, so there we go. But the, it's just paper. That's not the goal is to have lots of paper. Right? Here's, here's my, my goal for this series is that money will get its grubby little hands off your heart. That's it. That God would take his rightful place as Lord of your life and that you would look to God as the source of your security and comfort and provision. How many of you have seen Finding Nemo? I have young children. Okay, that's okay. So seagulls, crab, mine, 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 mine. Right? You hear it? Mine, 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 mine. Right? That's what the seagulls say. Mine, 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 mine. That's all they say. The whole movie. Mine, 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 mine. Right? They just go off over and over again. So we've titled this series appropriately. It's not mine. There we go. That's the series title. It's not mine. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. We're going to talk about this. Um, because whoever's money it is determines how you use it. Right? How, how you, so, listen, if you get birthday money, what can you do with it? Whatever the heck you want. It's yours. Right? You got birthday money. Right? You can go spend it however you'd like. Now, when, when you give right, each week, we, the church receives money. All right? Can we do whatever we want with it? No. Because the government's going to come looking for us and say, did you do that? And you're going to come looking and say, well, I gave it for that. We have to be accountable because it's, it's, it's not necessarily mine. right? My birthday money, I can do what I want. I can buy as many churros as I want. Um, but when I'm using church money, I can't just buy churros with that. As much as that would be awesome. I can't do that. Um, if you have a company credit card, you use that differently than you use a personal credit card. Um, you know... Government money. Everybody is always evaluating how the government spends money, right? And uh, money that go to charities, you know, we, we're really concerned with, are they spending it the right way? Everybody know about she money? She money? It's money I have that she don't know about, right? She money. And maybe you have he money, right? Money he don't know about. It's like your secret stash, right? So like when you just want to stop somewhere and you don't want to tell anybody, you just want to pick up an extra pair of shoes, you got some he money or some she money. All right? If you don't know about that, you're welcome. Start a fund, right? Just on a side, right? But what does it mean that money is ultimately not mine? Like, what does that mean? So we talked about how each month this year, we're going to have an X factor in our year of multiplication, something that will help you grow in your faith personally. And last week we introduced the idea of SOAP. There's a Bible reading strategy that will help you not just read the Bible, but also integrate it into your life. And if you missed that, you can go online, check out the message. I think we've got some videos up there, all sorts of resources. There's actually a whole uh, table in the back. Uh, it's a SOAP table. And it's like journals and pens and Bibles and all sorts of stuff. You can please take those resources. They're free. Take them. Use them. Put them to good use. It will explain everything about how to integrate. with. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to model that once again this week. I'm going to preach in a way that kind of outlines SOAP. So... Um, I actually wrote this in my journal 
in, on January 12, 2012. This was from a personal SOAP entry in my journal. And SOAP stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. It's an acronym. And it's just sort of how we process through Scripture in a way that takes it and says, okay, so how can I apply it rather than just read it and then out of sight, out of mind. Uh, at that time that I wrote this, our church was about 50 people. Okay, for reference, right now we're about 150 people. We're missing the left side because the youth are away at the winter retreat. Uh, they're coming back sometime this afternoon, 2.33, I don't know, somewhere around there. I guess, don't hold me to that time, I have no idea. They're coming back sometime this afternoon, but there's about 20 of them that are away that usually sit right there. Um, so that's why their section is empty. But we had about 50 regular attenders at that time in the church when I wrote this, and financially money was tight. It was very tight for the church, Personally, I was working several other jobs. I was working another job as a painter, house painting, so don't hire me. I'm not interested um, in painting anymore. Um, I paint our house enough at our own house. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I was doing that. It was very tight. And in that time, so imagine you're trying to start like a, like a new business or trying to start a new church. And how do you do that? And it's, we've been working. We had like 35 people the first year and now 45. And we're up to like 50. And it's just slow going. And we're like two years in. And I'm working other jobs. And we're trying. And it's just tight. Everything is tight. I don't know if you've ever been there, but maybe some of you have. And maybe some of you still are. And you understand what that feels like when money is just, every day you just, it just, you worry, you wonder, you think about it. And in that time, I read a passage in Luke chapter 12 that I'm going to, that's going to, it just leapt off the page and into my heart. And I'm going to read that and then we're going to get to the Matthew passage. But here's what Luke said. It was Jesus actually talking. It's a very familiar verse. You've probably heard it before. It said this. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. Anybody heard that? Has anybody ever heard that passage before? Okay, to whom much is given, much is required, right? That's kind of the language that we heard it in. You know, it's more like the King James, you know, good English. Um, it's a familiar passage, and I knew that. But what I had never really considered was that after the word return, what is there? It's a See, the sentence isn't over. But that's, like most people, that's all you ever hear. Right? You only ever hear, to whom much is given, much is required. All right, so let's go to the next part of the verse. The verse says this, and when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. And it like, just, I'd never seen that before. I've read that verse so many times, but I'd never seen this part of it. Because that's something else. That's something different. Right? If I give you something, what is it? It's a gift. Whose is it? It's yours. I gave it to you. Now, if I entrust something to you, whose is it? Still mine. Still mine. Right? You see the difference, right? Changes the game. So if I give you something and you've got something that is yours, much is going to be required of you because I gave that to you. You didn't earn it. It was just given to you. And now you're going to have to give account for it. But the stakes are raised when something's been entrusted to you. It says even more is going to be required when something is entrusted to you. The best way to illustrate the story, now we're going to go to Matthew. Okay, Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Jesus tells a story to kind of illustrate this, this principle. We're going to read the story in Matthew. It says this, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted, what did he do? He entrusted his money to them 
while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on the trip. So whose money is it? It's his. He's just entrusted it to them. Right? It's a trust. Verse 16. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. Good job. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. He buried it. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give account of how they had used whose money? His money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Same, master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Same exact language. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Here it comes. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Pause. Culturally, this was not an insult. This would have been a compliment. This would have said, I know that you are somebody who is enterprising. You work hard. This wasn't, it wouldn't have been heard or understood at that time as, as in any way offensive, just so we understand the context of how it was heard back then. It says, but, 25, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew that I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate. If that's the perspective you had taken about me, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That sounds like a wonderful place. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, can't wait to go there. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us not to go there. Help us to understand what this means for us, for what you have entrusted to us. Thank you. Amen. Okay. So that was Scripture. The Scripture verse was, To whom much has been given, much is acquired, but... Right? To whom much is entrusted, even more will be required. Right? That's, that's the scripture. I wrote S in my journal, and that was the scripture verse. Just the entrusted part. To whom much is entrusted, even more will be required. So now I can move on to O, observation. Okay, what do I notice about that scripture? Why did that jump out at me? Well, one, God is the rich man in the story. God is the master who goes away. Right? And we are the servants. God gives us and entrusts us things. Now, I want to be clear. This passage is actually not about money. He uses money, but this is about so much more than money. Okay, this is about entrusting them with the message of life, with salvation, with the knowledge of Jesus, right? It's about entrusting them with everything God has ever given them, with talents and abilities and things that are that is entrusted to them to use. Right? So here, let's just 
let's just try and delineate. What have you been given in life? What has God given to you and what has he entrusted to you? Here are things God has given. He's given you joy. He's given you peace. He's given you grace and forgiveness. He's given you love. He's given you hope. He's given you mercy. He's given you life. And he's not expecting them back. He gave that to you. Here's what he's entrusted to us. The message of salvation. We find, if you read through scripture, that family, children, right? Children are belong. That's why we do dedication here. When we dedicate infants, we say, God, this is not my child. I recognize that you have entrusted us as parents of these children. So every time that my kids behave bad, I go, that's not my kid. I just, just taking care of them, you know. Now, children have been entrusted to us. We've been entrusted with influence, with power. You've been entrusted with strength. You've been entrusted with wealth, with talents, with understanding. And the reality is one day I'm going to give account for how I handled his stuff. One day he's going to ask me, how did you do with what I entrusted to you? How am I handling the message of love and forgiveness in life that he's given me? Am I telling people where to bury it? God's going to ask each of us that. What did you do with what I've entrusted to you? How am I handling the people God has put in my life? Am I, am I serving the people God has put in my life or am I using them to make me happy? So I'm going to get on a soapbox because we're doing soap. Here we go. Happiness is a lousy pursuit. Inevitably, I will disregard the people in my life that God has entrusted to me because I care more about me than I do about them. If, if, if happiness is the goal, I will use people, I will use things, I will use everything else to serve self. Okay? Happiness is a lousy pursuit. If you are chasing happiness, I'm confident enough to say you will never find it. But I also believe that if you love the people that God has entrusted to you, and if you will steward well the things God has entrusted to you, you won't be able to escape happiness. But it's not something you can control. You have to just do the best with what God has given you. God has given me influence and talent and you influence and talent and wisdom and he's going to ask you, what did you do with it? He's going to ask us that. I've told maybe this story before. There's a great pastor, Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans, brilliant guy. I heard him preach a story about how our days are numbered. He says, God says, you know, number your days that you may live wisely. Right? So however old you are, average age of like an American male is somewhere around 77, I think, somewhere like that. So take your age, go to 77, subtract the difference, times 365, that's your days. If you live a normal life, right? Women, I think, are a little older, maybe like 79, somewhere around there. I'm not sure what the numbers are. Like just in terms of average age, like life expectancy in America right here. You can do the, you can do the math. Figure it out. Number your days. And then he says what you should do is you should take all those days, you should take the numbers and make little pieces of paper that represent, like a stack of paper that represents every day of the rest of your life should you live to the normal average life expectancy of an American. And then what you have is at the end of the day, you take your piece of paper and you throw it in the trash because you're numbering your days. He says, actually, no, 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 don't just do that. How about you put a bucket here and a bucket here? And one says God's purposes, and one says 
my purposes. And at the end of every day, you decide what bucket you're going to put your day in. Who are you living for? Are you living for you or are you living for God? You get to decide. We get to decide. But we have to recognize that this is a trust. And that one day we're going to have to give account for what we've done with what we've been entrusted. And here's the, the reality. We live in a very capitalistic society. It's a reality. We're, we're in a capitalistic culture. We think success is determined by the bottom line. Jack Welch, right? Cash is king. Cash is king. Bob, who was the most successful servant? Very clearly, in this story, is the one who made 510. He wins. He's got the most. He's got the most. But the truth is that the master rewarded them both with a party and entrusted more to both of them. See, if the bottom line matters most, then those who have less are less important. Right? Do you follow? We think success is determined by the bottom line. And the master in the story did not ask, how much did you make? All he asked is, what did you do with what I gave you? He rewarded them for faithfulness, for effort. He did not reward them because of how much. Bottom line. We're capitalistic. We still just think bottom line. And it's not about the bottom line. If you don't have as much money, as much influence, as much talent, as much knowledge in a capitalistic world, then, then you then somehow you are less. And the only people that really matter are people with a lot of influence and a lot of money and a lot of talent and a lot of skill. The shining stars of our world, they're the only ones that really matter because in the end, they have more. And that's not what it's about. See, God says faithful is best. The number doesn't matter. And as we can see, the one with the least did the least. Why did that guy bury it? Think about that. Why would he bury it? Because he was afraid. He was afraid of failing. He was afraid of not measuring up. So, maybe, maybe he was just lazy. Maybe he just didn't really care about the master at all. He was just consumed with his own stuff and said, I'm not going to put any time in somebody else's stuff. This is not my money. At the end of the day, I'm going to get no benefit personally from this. So I'm going to do nothing with it. We could stand here and, you know, guess all day why he's going to do. But he buries it. He did nothing. See, God doesn't care if we fail. God just cares if we try. A journalist asked Mother Teresa how she kept going, knowing she could never meet the needs of all the dying on the streets of Calcutta. If you've ever looked at the numbers in Calcutta, the need is overwhelming. It's like just a drop in a bucket. How, how can you, Mother Teresa, how can you keep going? No, you're never going to meet the needs of all the dying. And she said this. She said, I am not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. That is not good capitalism. That is not good American thinking. No, we've got to think, how can we reach the most kids and get them all? And God just says, I just care that you try. 
I'm not measuring by bottom lines because there's so much more going on that I see. I just want to know, will you be faithful to do what I have called you to do? It's not about the number. It's a mindset that we've got to change. God is not concerned with how much money we will make for him, but rather our willingness to be faithful and to do what we can. It's about our effort, not our result. So, if all the money that you have belongs to God, what are you doing with it? What are we doing with it? That's the question. What are we doing with it? How are we handling it? Whose purposes are you serving? So here's where we come to the A in soap. Scripture, that's the observation, application, where the rubber meets the road. I, okay, we can say it's not mine. We can agree in a church service that it's not mine. We can say, uh, understand that God says, I entrusted it to you. We can be all good with that, and we walk out of here, and we don't give another thought to what God wants us to do with it. Because it's mine. It's like birthday money. It's, it's he money. Money he don't know about. What are you doing with it? See, we need to use everything God has entrusted to us well. See, not only is it not mine, but it's his. Like, we're, like this is God's money we're talking. It's not like just somebody else's money. This is God's money. These two realities must establish the parameters for how we handle our money. This is not about trusting God with your money. This is about realizing God is trusting you with his. It's a different way of thinking about it. So, are you burying what God has given you to multiply? Again, we can talk about money, we can talk about talent, we can talk about all that stuff, but today we're focusing specifically on money because it relates, because it's a trust. It's one of those things God has entrusted to you, so what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? And again... I have no idea what anybody's doing, so I'm not speaking to anybody. It's not why I'm saying it. I'm just doing it to make sure that we understand that money can, can hold power over us and can limit us, and we can think we're okay because we're burying it. At least we're not losing it. And God's saying, come on. That is not why I gave it to you. You're wasting the purpose. So what do you believe about God? Do you think God cares more about the bottom line? Will I give some, or do you think he cares about your effort, your heart? Is God understanding, or is he harsh? Is he gracious, or is he judgmental? See, the fact that God even gave us money at all, to me, is evidence that he loves us and believes in us and believes we can do something with it. If you have lots of money, it's because God believes you have the potential to do something incredible with it. To whom much is given, much is required. And to whom much is entrusted, even more. If you find yourself with wealth of any kind. You may even have a little bit, and we're going to talk about that. It doesn't matter the number. But God believes that you have potential to do something with it that can actually transcend money. Money turns into coffee. It turns into bread, and it turns into cars and houses and heat and electric. That's really what, what it becomes in our hands. right? Because of the money that you have, you have glasses on or a haircut. right? That's it. You have stuff because you have money. But when we understand that money is God's, we change lives. Hope, joy, peace. Try and buy that at Walmart. You can't find it. You can't do that. It's not on Amazon. You can't buy it anywhere. 
Money can't buy happiness. We talk about that, right? Topia said, yeah, well, I think it was Donald Trump that said, if you think money can't buy happiness, you're not shopping at the right places. It's just a mindset. You can't buy those things. Are you using it in a way that brings life to others? So here's one very simple question. Here's the application for this week. Here's the question you need to be asking. I'm going to encourage you to ask. You don't have to. You can walk out of here and be like, whatever, that guy's weird. I don't, it's all good. Um, I had good tacos. I feel good about myself right now. One very simple question. God, why have you given this to me? That's it. If this is not mine, okay. I will acknowledge it's not mine. So then two, so why? Why do I have what you've given me? What's this for? What are you asking me to do with this? And here's the thing. Are you willing to even ask that question? Because as before, don't ask this question if you're not willing to respond to the answer. This is not an easy question to ask. We are terrified that God is going to ask us to give all our money away and live as paupers. Again, and it comes back to our understanding of who God is. What do we think about God? Do we think, see, anybody familiar with zero-sum theory? Zero-sum theory is a pie. If you take a piece of the pie, there's less. So if you have a piece of pie that's less for me, and I like pie, God does not operate in a zero-sum world. You can give, and somehow he still has enough for you. You can give pie away and still have a whole pie, and I don't know how that happened. But he can do it. Because God wants to see, are you being faithful? Right? To the servants, hey, listen, not only did they give it back to God, but it says they had it in abundance. We're going to talk about this in the, next, in, in the coming weeks But how you think about God determines how you think about the money that you have that he has given and entrusted to you. So if you're willing to ask this question, I believe God will prompt you to do something. I don't know what that looks like. It might be just a pattern, a behavior. It could be like a recurring thing. It could be just a way of living or something God speaks to you. I don't know what God is going to say to you. But this week, would you be be willing Just to say, God, this is not mine. What do you want me to do with it? Very simply. He's not going to tell you to stop paying your bills. God's not going to tell you to stop, you know, don't pay your mortgage and just, you know, live off the grid. He's not going to do stuff like that. But just, God, what do you want me to do with what I have? How might what is in your hands be used for more than just your own benefit? And here's the thing. If we will, he says, God's going to throw a party for us. And he's going to give you more so that you can do more. See, how you handle what you have been given today determines what he gives you tomorrow. To whom much is given and handled well, even more will be given. Money is a test. It's about us and our character. And when you pass the test, God can give you more because he knows that you know it's not for you. That's really very simply it. When you cling to it, when we hold money tightly, we did a series called Open Hands a few years ago. When you hold money like this, you know what happens? It just escapes out of your hands. You can't hold it tight enough. It's like trying to hold water in your hands. You can squeeze it all you want, but it's gone. But when you do this, God can fill it 
Say, God, this is not mine. He knows that you're not going to do this with it. He can continue to put it in because you know that it's not yours. And he can do what he wants through you. It's a, power, it's a paradox. It definitely seems counterintuitive. That the best way to do something is to work hard and say money is mine, I control it, and it's all mine. But when we recognize that it's not ours, money can actually be free to do what it could do through us and in our lives because it's God's, and he can do much better. I'm telling you, if you give God five bucks, he can do a lot more than you can do with five bucks. It's really incredible. We, Shane is not here. We should walk down. We... We, we, we fed a hundred people at the senior center and spent eight bucks on butter. And God provided everything else, pasta and meatballs and bread and salad and, and pies and drinks and coffee and all that stuff, and we spent eight bucks on butter. It's a great story. God can do more when you realize that it's not ours. So that's it. Scripture, observation, application. P, we're going to close with prayer. In prayer, two things always. One, God, I thank you that. What do you understand about God? What's the truth about God that we've understood? And then, God, since you are that, I ask you that. That's how we're going to do it. So that's just, again, we're going to close with this. Would you, would you, would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you first and foremost that you are the great giver, that you entrust things to us, Lord. And you, and Lord, by doing that, you're, you're giving us, Lord, purpose. You're giving us value and worth. Lord, you're saying that we are we're put capable of partnering with you to change eternity for people. God, we have all we need. You continue to give for us. God, we have more than we need. We can bless others with what you give us. So Lord, help us to understand first and foremost that it's not mine. It's not mine to clutch. It's not mine to grab at. Lord, it's yours. And you freely entrust it to us because you love us and believe in us. And along the way, you provide for us and others all in, one, all in one gift. Lord, and since you are the great giver, since you are the one who entrusts that to us, God, help us to acknowledge and understand and really believe that it's not ours. Help it not just to be something we say, but something we embrace. God, help us to listen for your direction with what to do with what you've put in our hands. May what you have given us change eternity for people. May lives be changed. God, I pray that somehow families would be changed, that communities would be changed, Lord, that this world would be transformed because we recognize that it's not ours, that you have given us something that has potential to change so much more than it ever could in our own hands. I thank you. You are good, and we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.